0: Greetings, folks. Philip Bateman from The Interview here with Rob Gell from Rethink Sustainability. And Rob, you opened your speech today by saying that triple bottom line is something that doesn't exist or at least never really happened. Could you touch on that
1: for me? Yeah, John Elkington, who coined the triple bottom line about 26 years ago, really as a a pre-thinking piece about we need to have more on the bottom line than just doing a financial analysis or something. So he coined the triple bottom line. Well, recently in a piece in the Harvard Business Review, he said, I I need to recall the triple bottom line. It's been, it's, it's genetic code's been very good. It's made people think about a whole range of interesting things and new, you know, ESG and some other measures. But fundamentally, uh, triple bottom line hasn't been taken up. So we need to think of something else. But I think he was also thinking at the time that we now have sustainable development goals Mm -hmm. out of the UN and that might be the vehicle.
0: And you touched on temperature increases. We're looking at 1.9, maybe 2 is catastrophic. That one. what's in that one? and how are we even getting to
1: 1.9? Well, I think 1.9 is our best possible scenario if we were to go to zero emissions globally by 2029. Mm-hmm. We might sort of scrape a bit under 2, but the, the reality is we need to understand that the current uh, level of CO2 in the atmosphere, about 415 parts per million, when I was a schoolboy it was 280, so we've increased it by... 41% in my lifetime. Um, in You asked the question, when has human civilization seen 415 parts per million CO2 in the atmosphere? Never before. So, uh, human civilization has evolved in that time. The reality is also that plus two was a number that scientists thought about 30 years ago. They said, oh, well, don't go beyond plus two. They just sort of picked that out of the air, thinking, well, if they take our advice, we're never going to get anywhere near it. But now, of course, we're pushing that limit. So, um, James Hansen the godfather or the father of, grandfather of climate science says that plus two degrees is a recipe for disaster so we've actually got to move very quickly
0: yeah and you highlighted sustainable development goals I think there was 17 of them and one of the end ones was having a good network around you to get things to happen. Could you talk to me about Sustainable Development
1: Goals? Yeah, the Sustainable Development Goals came from the Millennium Development Goals, which were invoked at the turn of this millennium, 2001, and they've been remarkably successful. We've actually reduced poverty by over 60% globally in the Millennium Development Goals. Ban moon went to a professor of economics at, um, in, at Columbia University in New York, a guy by the name of Jeff Sachs, and said jeff i need your help we've got to recast the millennium development goals because we've forgotten about our environment mm. so that was the that was the sea that started people thinking about what's in, what would be an appropriate new set of goals mm. interestingly in australia with uh, john thwaites and his team at monash sustainable development institute and some others were instrumental in kick-starting that thinking and came up with these 17 goals so they begin with no poverty." They include life on land, life on water, climate action, responsible consumption and production. And as you say, the 17th is partnerships for the goals and how we actually use collaborative collaborative tools to work with other businesses and organisations and communities to deliver the other 16 goals. Now, interestingly, uh, the goals were signed on by 193 nations on the 1st of January 2016 but it seems from all the analyses now, sort of three years on, we've actually got to work a whole lot harder to deliver them uh, by 2030, which is the target. So uh, look out for the SDGs and get on board.
0: And when we drift away from political agendas and we move to something, I believe, like RE100 and EV100, could you touch on that?
1: Yeah, these are, I I guess they're designed as stretch goals for organizations, but it's, uh, it's good to see other businesses picking them up. So the, the first 100 target was re 100, which is a target for to get the biggest industries, the biggest companies in the world to go for a target of 100% renewable energy as soon as possible. So now we've got you know Apple, Google, Nike uh, Bank of England companies all that 174 nations that have got that target to go 100% renewable as soon as possible. but also we've got states we've got you know California, New Mexico, Minnesota yeah. all doing 100 percent renewable targets. We also have, of course, uh, now an EV100 target, which is for businesses to think about going 100% electric vehicle Mm -hmm. as soon as possible, and there's about 50 or 60 of those now globally. We've also got a a, a green building target uh, to have 100% zero-carbon commercial buildings by 2050, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's one that's a real opportunity because that's about 10%, maybe a little more, of uh, global emissions are coming from our are coming from our buildings. So we really need to make them much more efficient and save a whole lot of money and resources in the process. Yeah.
0: And I believe there were three Australian banks and Atlassian as well?
1: Yeah, there, there are four companies only in Australia that are part of the RE100 group, and that's uh, Commonwealth Bank, Westpac Bank, Bank Australia, and Atlassian. So we'd like to see a whole lot more uh, Australian companies join that group as well. And in your client work, you said,
0: don't talk to me about strategy or plans. Talk to me about targets. What's, what's going on there?
1: Well, I'm old enough to know we've actually got strategies and plans and uh, goals for more or most everything. Uh, I think the, the proposition really, and I say this to my business partners, I, I don't want any more strategies. We actually know what to do. We know how to do it. Let's just get on and do it. So mostly with businesses nowadays, we say, what are, you, what are your objectives? What, what are you thinking about? What sort of resources have you got available to do something? And I'll give you three targets. I'll give you three things to do right now that are going to make you feel, A, a whole lot better about yourself, probably going to save you some money, and position your business better against your competition because you're actually going to become a leader by doing so.
0: And if you look back at the Chris Olzac interview from Aether, where we were at the International Mining, also the Agri-Investor Forum, where we talked about the water wars, uh, you made a comment about, you're entitled to your own beliefs, but you're not entitled to your own facts. And touched on water crises in various places. Could you share
1: that? Well, it's not my quote. It's Baroness Greenfield from the UK, mm-hmm. and she came up with that, and I use it perennially because it's such a good uh, comment to make when people say, oh, "I don't believe that." Well, I say, oh, you know, "Well, as Baroness Greenfield would say, you're entitled to your own beliefs, but not your own facts." So the facts are in front of us. So we've we've talked about uh, climate issues, but the there are also facts of, that that tell us what we need to do, and and the and the Answers that we can get and the good results that we can get by adopting good science and adopting good technology which is coming like a tidal wave. There's a sh- supermarket of great technology available for us to now to do the right things. We need to adopt this sort of stuff. Just on water, is, is there, well, there are two other critical issues that we haven't mentioned. One is water. So we're seeing already South Africa virtually ran out of water, um, still in crisis situation. Uh, Jordan, Iran, we've now got Chennai in India, sixth biggest city in India, ru- effectively run out of water. I saw a piece on the news uh, last weekend that one of the largest uh, storage reservoirs outside Manila in the Philippines, tropical country, is uh, having water restrictions. We- we've got some real issues about managing global resources which fundamentally underpin human civilisation, so we've got to do a whole lot better with those things. And the other thing that we really need to understand is Ecosystems globally are in collapse. We've got a million species now threatened with extinction. 25% of animals and plants on the planet. So we really got to do, because the, the, that, the, the ecosystem services that those ecosystems provide fundamentally underpin our economy. I mean, these are, these are the insects that pollinate our crops, for example. And if you consider that in 20 years, and the United States uh, did some research, in 20 years, we lost 70% of monarch butterflies. That's about 900 million monarch well, butterflies. We're seeing the collapse of insects, which is a, a real issue. And mostly it's coming from uh, neonicotinoid uh, pesticides uh, used in farmland. So some countries are now getting this they're phasing those out and they're seeing their native insects coming back and they're getting greater crop yields. So we've actually got to understand natural system better than this. We go back to your question about triple bottom line. It's not just about the dollars. We've actually got to understand all these other natural systems and how they play with our economy and make sure that they're in balance and we're actually supporting uh, natural systems because they're actually fundamentally going to come back and support our economy.
0: And I had the experience of sitting there listening to questions from the audience where somebody asked about uh, installations and things like this. And then, well, why is it so expensive? What can we do to get incentivized to do this? And the thought that was going through my mind is, well, it doesn't need to be incentivized. It simply is you insulate your house because then you save energy and we burn less. And coal, and then, you know, you live a better life. What's the cost of that? Well, do you need an incentive? Don't go on a holiday. Triple glaze. It's, I mean, when do we get to that point of, really, I'm just on a monologue
1: there. Yeah, no. Well, I think the point you might be making is that we, we're we not very good at thinking in the longer term. We think to the end of the financial year or we think to the end of uh, the year or whatever. But if we actually bothered to spend the time and do the spreadsheet that says, the operating cost of this house or this commercial building or whatever I'm doing, okay, so the double glazing is a short-term capital cost or the installation or whatever it is, but at age, at, at, at year two, three, five, seven, whatever it is, it's already paid for itself and, and then I'm in front. Yeah. And I, I wish our building industry did a little more of that, uh, particularly for new home buyers because they keep selling houses on ticket price for the house rather than operational costs uh, and, you know, an extra couple of thousand dollars on the ticket price but double glazing in your living areas, for example, is going to save you a whole lot of money in the long term. Mm-hmm. We've got to learn to think longer about our decision-making and make better choices on that basis. I have two more questions.
0: The I was sitting here in the audience thinking, well, if six as an energy star rating is the very minimum standard, why don't we just call it one star and change the energy ratings? Because yeah. well, like, somebody sees six on a washing machine, they're like, well, it's all right, isn't it? It's, right. Oh, it's all right at six, but really it's one. I mean, we're talking about single glazing.
1: Everything's relative, isn't it? Uh, yeah, exactly. Or we could make it, we could make it six on a scale of a hundred, uh, which <laughs> are, which would be interesting as well. Look, the, the it, it's interesting to see the way the UK has responded. I mean, if you consider that um, Margaret Thatcher shut down the coal mines, there's never been a debate about climate change because you've got a conservative prime minister back in the seventies or wherever who. Said it's not an issue. I'm a scientist, and this is what we're going to do. The, the so the, the, there's been no debate. So now they're getting they've got huge renewable energy industries coming out of the UK and, and Ireland, mm-hmm. and the Irish Sea and North Sea for that matter. But uh, the, their parliament had a target to go 80 percent renewable energy. I think by 2080. They said, Look, why are we bothering with that? Let's just go carbon zero as soon as possible. Mm. So. This is about setting stretch targets, being understanding what the science is telling us, understand that there is a better future if we choose to go there and just set the stretch target, put something out there, have a crack. Most of my experience over sort of 30 or 40 years in this space is that as soon as you set a target that we want to achieve in five years, mostly those targets are achieved in one and a half or two years and you go to the next one and stretch again. Uh, people tend to say, oh, okay, that's what you want to do. I, I know how to do that. yeah, And we just go ahead and do it. And I think we've got to get a whole lot better at uh, understanding our own capability in lots of ways, but also that there's there's stuff out there that'll do the job that's available now. And there's a whole suite of new stuff coming tomorrow and the next day and the next day. But don't wait. Get going now because there's things that are fundamentally going to change the way you operate, reduce your costs, and make life better for everybody.
0: And for a bit of faith, for those watching, you touched on uh, sustainable power generation that's coming online to replace your lawn and such things in the military valley they were
1: yeah i'm glad i don't have shares in coal mines and yeah. uh, <laughs> i'd never have actually look the the energy transformations on globally uh in all nations some of them like some countries like south africa australia and poland really haven't put into place um respectable or proper uh, transition strategies germany's had a 20-year experience of doing that how, okay how are we going to face people out of coal mining and coal electricity generation into new businesses whether they're in energy or otherwise we and that's a little bit sort of head in the sand but the global energy transition is on it's, it's moving very very fast um targets like you know california 100 renewable by 2025 i think uh, that's the date but the other thing that's coming, apart from sort of electrification of everything, um, you know, the phasing out of cement and steel probably mm. by 2030, we can't afford to use those things in construction. But the, the but the transformation using hydrogen mm. in in as a, as ammonia or hydrogen and to the uh, hydrolysation of water to produce hydrogen using using renewable energy, that's an absolute game changer, and that's coming very fast, mm. and that's being used and trialled in. Little small townships in Victoria where they're proposing to go off grid on hydrogen as soon as possible, uh, to major solar fields in northwestern Australia, which are uh, doing all this stuff as well. So that you know, it's it's it really very exciting. You know, there's there's one side which is very negative. There's another side that's it, it, it really optimistic.
0: And for people who don't know about the hydrogen thing, we're talking about converting. Energy into hydrogen, transferring it through a membrane into ammonia, and then transporting it and pulling it back out to hydroxy for usage. Is yeah, that Yeah, case?
1: Yeah, the, the, we need to think about hydrogen as either just a big battery, so it's a so it's a it's a lossless, zero emissions battery. Mm. Uh, but you can also think about it as just another wire in the network. Mm. So, in other words, you can you can take renewable energy, hydrolyze water, produce hydrogen, transport the hydrogen as ammonia. Put it in a truck or in a pipe or whatever. Take it some other place, and then take it out as uh, burned hydrogen for heat energy, or take it back to electrical energy and transport it again in another way. So it's it, it's an absolute dynamic uh, uh, transportable energy medium. If we think about. It, I mean, don't don't think about hydrogen just as a gas that it explodes. It's a it's an energy transport medium, and it's being used in remarkable ways now. And we can push it down the natural gas pipes. He said. It, you can actually put it in the same pipes as natural gas and just re-extract it at the end.
0: So you've got the infrastructure. Yeah,
1: we've got the infrastructure already. Yeah. So you, you know, pick your township, and the township I'm talking about is little... Town called Miller, we're up in northwestern, uh, northeastern Victoria, and they're piloting this. Mm. Uh, they're oh, "Well, we've got plenty of sunshine. We can, we can grow some hydrogen. Cause we've got lots of solar. We can put solar in and make mm. hydrogen, and just uh, reticulate it through our, uh, th- through our standard gas pipes mm. into our households, either directly into our stoves, to if you've got gas stoves, or we can put it into a fuel cell and convert it into electrical energy." Mm. So th- this stuff's really pretty exciting.
0: Mm. And evidentiarily, you're quite a wise man. Now, people can access your information or your wisdom through Rethink Sustainability. Rethink
1: Sustainability is our business. There's not much on the website, but there's a way to contact us there, and we'd be happy to hear from you.
0: Beautiful. And your closing thought to leave people with was about how we're going to need to build our cities in the future, out to 2030. Could you just wrap well, that
1: up? Well, this is uh, uh, Joachim Schellenhuber from Potsdam Institute. So I'm, I'm, I read widely what really knowledgeable people in the world say And uh, he's one of the world's leading, probably top five or six climate scientists and I heard him speak and he said, look, if we're really serious as a global population about Paris uh, plus two, which we've already discussed is too much, we need to do three things and he summarizes and so from 2020 or from now, we need to start phasing out coal-fired power stations. In the decade from 2020 to 2030, we need to phase out internal combustion engines and electrify vehicle fleets. And from 2030, we need to start building our cities again, or once again, out of timber, stone, and clay. So we would use renewable energy to fire make bricks. We'd hew natural stone, and we'd use timber, like cross-laminated timber, which we're already seeing really valuable, uh, because we really can't afford to have uh, energy... Uh, The energy consumption in the production of steel and cement. (laughs) Thank you very much for
0: watching and please help us spread this message because it really is about transforming our culture and our society. So let's get on
1: with it, hey? Thanks, Philip.